This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com, code VILLAGE, for 20% off your order. You're listening to Voices of Your Village. This is episode 136. In today's episode, I got to hang out with Rosalia Rivera to talk about consent parenting. What does it look like to parent from a place of consent, to teach our tiny humans from infancy, what consent looks like, what it feels like, how to advocate for it. This is a topic that's very dear to my heart, and I am so jazzed that I got to hang out with Rosalia and chat about it because I've been following her over on Instagram and learn from her constantly. And in this conversation, we got to talk about things like when your kid has to get into the car seat to go, when we need them to do something and what that looks like and how we can best support them. After tuning in, come on over to Instagram at seed.and.sew. Let's chat about this. Let's dive into your follow-up questions and be in conversation on this topic. It's such a vital one. If we're going to change the culture that our kids grow up in versus the one that I grew up in, for sure. All right, folks, let's dive in. Welcome to Voices of Your Village, a place where parents, caregivers, teachers, and experts come to support one another on this wild ride of raising tiny humans. We combine decades of experience with the latest research to create the modern parenting village. Let's dive into honest conversation about real parenting challenges so it doesn't have to be this hard. I'm your host, sleep consultant, child development specialist, and passionate feminist, Alyssa Blass Campbell. Hey everyone, welcome back to Voices of Your Village. Today I get to talk about a topic that's pretty near and dear to my heart as a sexual assault survivor. I, this is a topic we've chatted a lot about over here on Voices of Your Village as I've unpacked a lot of my own history and trauma and 
have discussed how this comes up for me with kids and in the classroom and noticing my triggers and my biases and having to work through them. And so I'm jazzed to get to share this conversation today. Today, I'm hanging out with Rosalia Rivera from Consent Parenting. I have been following you on Instagram and loved your content and was like, we have to get her on. So thank you for hanging out with me. Thank you for having me. I love, uh, I love your work as well. Thank you. Uh, can you share with our village a little bit about who you are and your background? Sure. So um, I am also a survivor of um, child sexual abuse. I only state that in the beginning because it informs my work. And that is a really important piece uh, of what and how I teach. Um, but I myself, so I was born in El Salvador. I grew up in New York, lived in New York City for a long time. And now I live in Canada with my husband and three kids. We have three young boys. And my journey of teaching about consent um, started with my own kids. So <laughs> I was kind of always fighting this, uh, I think, path that I've meant to be on since day one. But it was always scary. It was always triggering. And I wasn't ready for it. I hadn't done my own healing. And when I had kids, I realized that I didn't want to make the same errors that my parents did. Well, specifically my mom, because she's also a survivor. And I realized that she didn't educate us because it was so hard for her to deal with her own stuff, right? And so um, in realizing all of that, I sought out to create work that was accessible for survivors so that they could be empowered instead of afraid of these conversations. And so that's pretty much how I've stepped into doing what I do now. Um, I've been consent educating my own children as well as helping other parents for close to four years now, but didn't actually formally make it into a thing until a year ago. So it's actually been a little bit over a year now that I've had the platform as a formal way to help parents. And it's been amazing. Like I'm so happy to finally have stepped into this but it was a little bit challenging in the beginning because you do need to realize that you need support and you need help and that's really hard for survivors to say like I need help I need support and I, I want to do you know something towards my healing but once I did I realized like this is so liberating and I want to help others find that same kind of freedom so now I'm here so powerful your work is so powerful and that resonates so much with me I mean for a long time almost a decade I didn't talk about it I didn't do any healing because I was just I, I say like treading water trying to stay afloat you know yeah. and I was in survival mode and didn't realize I could thrive again you know mm -hmm. and had so much healing for myself before I could talk about it, before I could even say certain words or be exposed to certain words. And I am really glad that you brought that up as such a huge component here, because I want to dive into that. We know that the rate of survivors is really high Yeah, that are now parents, right? Mm -hmm. And that that's going to come into play in our everyday life and how to navigate that, right? Just last week, we were on the beach and this little toddler, she's 20 months old, was toddling around as they do and <laughs> came over to me. I had snacks and <laughs> so it was a hot, hot button at right. that point. <laughs> she came over to me and to brace herself, she grabbed my nipple and I like jumped. I mean, it's painful anyway, and I'm pregnant. So it's uber painful right. and sensitive, but also it's, a, that's a trigger for me. And 
you know, learning how to navigate these things and, and set boundaries for ourselves as adults around what we will or will not allow with our body. And I think especially with moms, that there is this idea that your body has to be shared at all times, that like, it's like this selfless act that we have accepted as truth, I think, a lot along the way. And down to like, you're allowed to shower by yourself or go to the bathroom by yourself or choose when or when a kid will or will not be on your body. Mm-hmm. And I want to dive into what that looks like and how we start to take that power back and, and own our ability to set those boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's such a critical um, part of parenting that I think a lot of survivors in particular struggle with for those very reasons we were you know had our own boundaries violated right and were if if in a lot of cases we were raised in um, authoritarian homes you know where you like you do what you're told and you don't ask questions that concept of boundarylessness was reinforced mm-hmm. and so then when we become parents we want to have boundaries particularly when we have little kids that are like are wanting to be on top of us and we don't know how to separate right and so you may lash out. That may be one response, right? You just get angry and triggered and you lash out and you get angry and your child has no idea why. Or you just become the like giver until you're so depleted that it, you know, you can go into a default of depression almost, right? And a lot of people I think experience that as postpartum in, in you know, aspects of postpartum. So when I educate parents about how to teach their kids about boundaries, it's like they're starting from ground zero because they've never had that um, ability to I- express, implement, you know, enforce boundaries, right? So it's like relearning, starting from, you know, ground zero and having to learn how to establish your own boundaries in order to be able to teach your children how to have boundaries, right? So one of the beautiful things about this whole education process is that as you're learning to teach your children, you're learning this yourself, like you're a child, you know? So this is one of the reasons why it's so liberating because you're like, I didn't know that I could have boundaries. And, you know, there are actual healthy ways to develop them and implement them and enforce them with love, you know, because really boundaries are love. Boundaries are showing respect for another person, right? So when we are teaching our kids how to do that, we are learning how to honor our own boundaries and to learn how to stand up for those in respectful, loving ways. But when you need to, to, you know, let that animal energy out and, and to stand your ground, right? Because you do have that right. So it's so empowering and it takes time. So it's not something that you're going to learn overnight and you may screw up and that's okay. Um, Cause that's how you learn, you know, and that's what we teach our kids, right? That it's okay to, to make mistakes. Um, but to be, open to that process, you know, is just so liberating. So yeah, I I think parents are just learning just as much as they are teaching. Yeah, I think so too. And I was reading the book Untamed, Glennon Doyle's book. It's so good. Mm. But she uh, in it was sharing a moment where she was in a marriage she didn't feel happy in and she's there and she's sticking it out, quote unquote, for her kids. And She's at one point braiding her daughter's hair and just realized like, is this what I would want for my daughter? Is what I have now and what I'm modeling for her, what I would want for her. And 
that comes up for me here too around setting our own boundaries like down the road if our children choose to be parents or just in general with their own bodies is this what I would want for them would I want them to be giving of themselves to the point of um, disowning who they are what they feel or what feels true to them right yeah there was um, a video that I did uh, a few months ago talking about how parents tend to think that because they are the parent, they have the right to the child's affection. Because, mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we've heard very often people say, like, I'm not, I don't force my child to, like, hug or kiss family members anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. and, they, and that's great. That's, it's definitely a step ahead. However, they still feel like they're entitled to that and mm -hmm. don't honor that at home. And um, I actually had a parent who reached out to me and said, like, that they had gotten into a confrontation with their own sibling because their way of dealing with their child was like, you know, if I want to give my child a hug, like I should be able to, like they're my child, right? And so I did a whole video talking about how that uh, is so dangerous in so many ways um, because it actually puts them in a position of being more, um, more pliable to grooming, right? Mm -hmm. to, to being more susceptible to it. And one of the ways that, it also impacts kids is that as they get older, they feel that same thing of like, my body is for the pleasure of others, right? Mm -hmm. Or my desires for what I want are less important than pleasing that other person, which is what they've been taught their whole lives. But also as they grow up, they may also feel that they have the right to, you know, use other people for their own pleasure, right? So mm -hmm. it's like, it's always a two-way street. And when we're teaching about all of, the, all of this stuff, yes, we're doing it to help our children protect themselves and, and to know those rights um, when they're young, but also when they're older, that they are learning that they have to also respect the boundaries and rights of others, you know? And so absolutely, like it, it will affect how they are as adults, you know, like these are life skills that that they're learning now not just for their own protection but for creating consent culture absolutely and i think it's not always that like we make a child hug us or we do something physical but sometimes it's the guilt that comes after like oh but i love your hugs or oh it makes me so happy when i get your hugs it, even if we're staying away from the like but it makes me sad when you won't hug me when we then reverse it and we're doing the yep. same thing <laughs> right Absolutely. it's still that pressure um you mentioned the word grooming will you break that down for anyone who has that might be new for Sure. So grooming is the strategy or tactic that predators will use to gain the trust and affection of a child for the purposes of abusing them. Uh, but it's not just the child. It, they, uh, a family can also be groomed. So parents can also be groomed by a predator um, so that they gain the trust of the family. And that normalizes the abuse for the child also because they're thinking, well, if my parents think this person is so great, but they're doing this to me, like it can be a very confusing me message, right? And that's essentially what predators want to do is that they want to normalize that, you know, uh, abuse for the child. Um, so there's strategies that predators use to gain that trust and gain that bond, you know, with the child so that they can then erode their boundaries uh, bit by bit to the point where they abuse them and can manipulate the child after to keep silence. Yeah, thank you for breaking that down. And it's it's wild to see it happen, not even just with kids, but across the board. 
at one point I was an advocate for someone who had been a victim of abuse in a workplace. And the there were people saying like, he would never do that. Have you seen him? Like, he's such a sweet human, right? Like he yeah. had this presentation um, yeah. to everyone yeah. so that when this happened, it was a shock to everyone that they truly couldn't believe. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, if you look at the Larry Nassar case, the doctor mm-hmm. who, uh, you know, treated the Olympics athletes, he started a charity for autism. He was this stand-up citizen in his community. Like nobody, in fact, when somebody, you know, when a child confronted her family and said like, this is, this has been happening, this is what's going on, they didn't believe her because they just could not, like it was like two realities clashing and they chose to go with the reality that this person had created for them to be duped, right? So it can be anyone. And that's one of the, one of the uh, tragic things that a lot of parents don't realize is that predators look to work in places that they have access to kids, right? Mm -hmm. So we tend to think, well, it's a teacher or it's like a coach, like these are people who care about my kids and they like, I've seen them, you know, work with my children and they're so good with them and my kids love them that doesn't mean that they're not a potential predator. And I know for a lot of parents are like, well, how do I know who to trust? You know, because then you become like, I don't want to be paranoid. I don't want to make my kids paranoid. I totally get that. And so this is why it's so important to learn what those grooming signs are. Listen to your intuition. You know, like a lot of parents, particularly survivors too, they get confused. They're like, is that intuition or is that paranoia? Mm -hmm. Um, it just means that your brain is telling you to pay attention, yeah. right? And so paying closer attention, making it a point to teach your kids, you know, what, how to listen to their own intuition, right? And so putting those things together will help you to determine if that's a safe person or not, maybe limit the one-on-one contact, make sure that you're talking to your kids regularly about the things that are going to help them stay safe, you know? So you just don't know. And it's not to say like everyone's a predator, but the percentages are alarming. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, you know, that's not a reality people want to think about. We want to think that we live in a safe world or in a safe Mm -hmm. neighborhood. I just found out something today that was kind of shocking that I wanted to share with you because, so you're in in Canada, is that right? I'm in in Vermont. We're so You're in Vermont. Okay. So close to you. <laughs> okay. Well, so this this is relevant for both countries because I'll share a little bit of information about both. So I found out this morning that in the U.S., it is not mandatory for sex offenders to be registered in the sex offender registry unless they are considered level three. And level three, I don't even know what level three could potentially mean because based on, you know, what this person shared online about her own experience, this offender had done enough, you know, about like enough damage that they should have been considered a a level three, but were not. And so they weren't on the registry and they, they had been out of jail at this point. She looked up where they were, couldn't find them, you know, did all this research and found out that out of, in her state, out of the 30,000 that were convicted, only 900 were added to that registry list. So, you know, in a, in a town, you could have 30 uh, offenders and not know it because they're not on the list. And they could be living near a school, your next door neighbor, who seems yeah. really nice, you know. 
So it's just, we have to pay attention to those signs. In Canada, it's not even public record. Like you have to be either um, in the police or like you have to be in law enforcement or someone who is hiring and wants to do a background check um, is the only way that you could find out who is a sex offender in your, in your town. So, you know, we, this is why I, I educate parents. Like you can't just like trust that, you know, the law is doing something about it. You have to be proactive and, and just learn this on your own. Totally. And so many of us never even reported. And so that number right. is so much higher. Right. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out. And it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for me, Labine, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns, and it came in the mail, and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their luxe women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical-free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin, too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. I think for me personally, Zach and I have had, my husband and I have had this discussion quite a bit around like, I don't want to live in fear our child's entire life, right? And because I had to learn how to stop living in fear myself, right? I did so much work to not live with anxiety every day. And I don't want that when we have a kid either, right? Like when this human comes out, I don't want that for them, for me to be anxious about their safety all the time. And So for me, I was like, well, then what does this mean? Like, what does rewriting this pattern mean for me as a parent? And 
I think what I've come down to is that I want to make sure that we're a safe space for them to break down to and or they know that if they're not comfortable talking to us about something that there's access to other support for them to talk to um, and that they know what consent is and isn't, right? Like for me personally, as that 14 year old Alyssa, I spent years afterwards being like, oh, well, I shouldn't have been in this situation. If I wasn't there, if I didn't do, there was so much self-blame that at the end of the day, it, I had made it about me as a victim that I was, I, I had taken myself out of that victim role. So then all of a sudden it was like, well, there was nothing to report because I shouldn't have been in this scenario. And if I just wouldn't have put myself there, then this wouldn't have happened. And I guess to break that down that like, I think I didn't really realize what consent was or wasn't. And I think that does start so young. And, and I also think as a parent, it can be hard in that like, it's one thing to say, I'm not gonna make you hug or kiss somebody. It's another one we have to say, no, you have to be in that car seat. That's a safety guideline, right? And I'm, I am going to make sure you're buckled into the car seat, even though you don't want to be. Yeah. Or yeah. I am going to change your diaper because I'm not allowed to let you sit in feces, even though you don't want your diaper changed. You know what I mean? And like, how do we, yeah. how, how to draw that line and look at like, what is a health and safety boundary for a kid that we are going to enforce that sometimes is not going to be consensual touch. Yeah. And then how do we teach outside of that? What is consent? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so there's a lot of parts to that that I wanted to just address. <laughs> Threw a lot at you. <laughs> yeah, no, it's all good. So um, I just want to address the first part that you talked about with your own understanding of consent when you were younger. You know, when you were talking about that, it was like a mirror. Like we had very similar experience because um, I was date raped when I was 17 and I had the same thing. I was like, self-blame. I shouldn't have been there. It was my fault. Like mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I never reported it because of that. And I lived with a lot of, you know, guilt and shame about that. It, it was the same thing. It's like, if I had known that I could even voice a no, that, you know, I, at first it was like, uh, I must've said something that made him think, you know, X, Y, Z. So there was a lot of that. And, and under, not, not understanding that consent can be withdrawn, you know, like little yeah. things like that. Right. And so this is why I say, like, when we start to teach kids about consent from a very young age, it has nothing to do with sex. It has everything to do with body autonomy and, and boundaries, right? So fast forwarding to when you have kids and then you're trying to navigate that. It, what it comes down to is really es establishing good communication with your child about what healthy, safe, uh, safety boundaries are about. You know, so if we're going to go to the doctor and there is a safety reason why you have to do a specific procedure, communicating about that ahead of time and letting them know, unfortunately, this is one of the very few situations where this is a safety issue and we have to do this, whether you give consent or not, because I'm your parent mm -hmm. and my job is to keep you safe. And this is one of the things that's gonna keep you safe. However, the other aspect of it is to tell your kids what is there, you know, what are their rights that have nothing to do with safety, right? So if they don't want to brush their hair, you know, explaining what the consequences are. Yes, you have this right over your body. It's your, you know, but with that comes responsibility about keeping yourself healthy. And if you're getting to the point where you're crossing into unhealthy and unsafe, then I have to step in as your parent. But I wanna give you that ability to choose for yourself because 
you you're an autonomous being right and so um this is hard to do with a two-year-old because you know pre-verbal a lot of times and it's hard to have those conversations so you navigate it and it evolves it's a conversation that evolves it's a conversation that um you continue to have over and over again you have to understand that you're gonna need a lot of patience when it comes to this but you have to keep reminding yourself about the long term right this isn't about uh, just right now making sure that, you know, they are eating everything on their plate because you slaved over it. Like, is that long term going to help them? Like, is it going to teach them healthy habits? Is that going to reinforce like, you know, so we have to keep reminding ourselves about the long term. And sometimes it doesn't matter if they have food on their face. Sometimes it doesn't matter if, you know, they brush their teeth wrong. We can help them. We're the guides. We're supposed to be there supporting all of those um, you know, abilities that they're developing without forcing our agenda on it, right? Um, as long as it's not a health and safety issue, then, you know, I always say like, pause and think, is this urgent? Does this need to happen right now? Or can I allow them the space to be autonomous about this, right? And have conversations and communicate, right? So to me, it's always about like having the communication about it. I don't tell parents, just make the switch it's impossible especially if you were not raised that way i continue to like catch myself on a daily basis about stuff and it's like oh i did it again you know but i remind myself that i'm still as much as i'm teaching this i'm still learning because our kids evolve and situations change you want to start with having a conversation ahead of time to let them know that you're making this switch and you can simply say i'm learning some new things that i didn't grow up with and I want to empower you with that comes responsibility. And this is going to be a change, but I know that we can both do it and it's for the benefit of everyone. And this is how we're going to create consent culture in our home, have a conversation about what consent is, what it means. Like, and this is how you begin, right? So you start with these little conversations and, and tell them what's going to change so that they are prepared, they, they're aware. Mm -hmm. um, and that you, you know, if you make a mistake, you can say, sorry, like, I just, you know, kind of defaulted back, but let's try that again, right? And let them know that you're, you're learning too. So, you know, it's, it's, it's a challenging switch. I'm not gonna like say it's yeah. not, but it's so empowering when you start to see your kids using consent language, upholding their boundaries. It's so rewarding and it's so empowering. And you're like, oh, all that like challenging stuff is so worth it and you see it. Um, and you can envision them, you know, 10 years from now, my, my five-year-old is going to be 15. Like, how do I want them operating in the world? Right. And it's so worth the, the challenges, but it's also a fun experience because you realize like, oh, if I was a kid, I would have loved to have my parents, like, give me that kind of space to really develop who I am. Right. Because you're giving them autonomy means you're also allowing them to develop their personality instead of us being so hands-on about stuff. Absolutely. And I, you know, it's, I think it's one of the hardest things specifically with early childhood is that like, I use this example of we don't read to a kid as an infant expecting them to read back to us tomorrow. We read to them as an infant expecting them to read back to us in years. Nice. <laughs> such a hard part of early childhood is that we'll do something and we're like, I don't know if it's working and you might not see like the fruits of that labor, if you will, for a couple of years. Yeah. It, it, it's very rarely are you going to see it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. always this longer term investment. And 
I also, I, this little girl came up for me who, she was about two in my toddler class and she, it was time to go in for the playground. They'd gotten their five minute warning. Now we're down to one minute and now it's time to go. And she's standing there, hands on her hips. My body, my choice. I'm not leaving. And she would just say, my body, my choice. My kids knew my body, my choice. And uh, I was like, gosh, I'm so glad you know that phrase. <laughs> and <laughs> we have eight toddlers waiting for this toddler to go in and eat lunch right and everyone's about to melt and there is a timeline for this and it's not just about you right now sister right I know you want to stay (laughs) on the playground but we're gonna go in and for me with those boundaries what I can do is give them an option in how whether or not we're going in is not a choice we're going to leave the playground I'm gonna count to 10 and then we are going to leave you can walk if you want to do it by yourself, or I can carry you when I say 10. And so right. she has that choice of how to do it and gets same with like climbing into a car seat, et cetera, where I will pause. And first, I think it's my job to be like, why am I setting this boundary? Right? Like yeah. in this case, yep, we're all going to go in and have lunch. This is one I'm going to hold. And sometimes I've set a boundary and I'm like, you know what, now that I think about it, it is okay if you play with this thing. I answered too quickly or I can, you can come back from that. I think we yeah. do, we are in charge as the adult of being able to pause and be like, did I just set this on a whim because I was answering really fast and it was reactive? Mm-hmm. Or is this something that, yeah, no, I, we are not, I'm not gonna let you run into the street or whatever. Right. Um, and I am gonna hold that and then the how it happens, I feel like is where the consent comes in. Of yeah. You can walk. There's so much I want to do it myself. And sometimes the do it yourself is on a timeline. Of yeah. It's not just about you in this world. And if you want to do this yourself or you want to, you're working so hard to learn how to tie your shoes. And I see you working so hard. Yeah. I can help you get outside with your shoes untied and you can keep practicing outside. Right. Um, right? Like what can I do to give them that choice? Uh, And sometimes it is just going to be on a timeline. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think that that's where, uh, you know, parents feel like they're doing it wrong, or they're getting hung up and they're like, oh, you know, this is just too hard. Um, I, I get a lot of questions about, you know, those kinds of things around boundaries. And the thing is that we're not, you know, saying like go wild you know like just do whatever you want no rules um yeah (laughs) there are you know rules that we have in our household for certain reasons and so what I try to do is always explain what those rules are and why we have them right so it's not just like this is the rule and doesn't you know don't Mm -hmm. ask questions like just do it obviously that's not how we operate but I also you know with 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 family time at like at dinner for example like that's a question that always comes up like Uh, you know, I believe that when a child says that they're full, you know, that's when they're full. I won't push it. I I wasn't raised that way. You know, it was like, you eat everything that's on your plate. And it was a lot of it has to do with like, you know, abundance or or lack of abundance, you know, like those kinds of things. So there's a default in me that wants to like get them to eat, right? And I have to constantly like remind myself that, you know, they don't have to, you know, if they're full. Um, But I get parents who are like, well, what if an hour later, they say that they're hungry? we've established in our home that this is dinner time and this is when you get to eat. You can't have a snack later because you didn't finish. And if you're hungry, your dinner is still there. Like you can finish it, you know, and that's fine up to a certain time because then it's close to bedtime. And then, you know, so we do have a routine that we, you know, 
have sort of boundaries around that we operate within. And then they have a choice of how they operate within that boundary, you know, just like you said. So giving kids that choice of how they want to operate within certain safety and health boundaries is really still giving them those options to decide how they want to, you know, manage them themselves, but still giving them the, the safety and health pieces that are going to keep them, you know, like that's our job, right, is to keep them healthy and safe. So it's just a matter of figuring out what that is for you and, and what the values are in your home and like how you want to set those boundaries so that they still have the freedom to operate within them while honoring their autonomy. And it's, it's a learning process, you know, so you just yeah. have to figure out how, you know, and, and getting the support for that is helpful, right? Like talking to other parents who are on the same journey is helpful because you can trade notes and, you know, like get answers um, to, to those little nitty gritty questions that I think a lot of parents get hung up on. Totally. I think so too. And, and I think there is this fear of like doing it wrong or crossing that line. And I think you're always going to do some things wrong and cross that line and we're going to come back from it. And that's part of being human, right? Is like making mistakes and owning it and coming back just this past week, we were, I was playing uh, with another toddler on the beach that we had five kids, six and under, and uh, I was playing with another toddler and we were playing and he's smiling and he's having fun. And then there came a point where he like pulled back and I was like, oh, are you all done? you don't want to do more of this. And he's 14 months old. So he can't be like, yeah, babe, I don't want more. (laughs) And, but by pulling back and giving me that sign. And for me, it was like triggering at first. I was like, oh, I should have. But part of it is like, Alyssa, you're gonna, you were playing and things were fine. And then when they weren't, you stop, right? And like Mm -hmm. sending him that message, you know, it makes me think of like the Aziz Ansari case where, I'm just, I, I actually, I have a lot of compassion for Aziz here because I think we have raised, he was, he followed the rules in which he was raised, right? Like the system was set up for exactly what happened. (laughs) And uh, I also love that afterwards he owned like, oh man, like I didn't realize what I was doing was not consensual. Like those are the rules I've been playing by my whole life and didn't realize that what I was doing was not consensual. And here's what I'm going to do. Like, here's what I'm right. doing differently. And here's what I'm learning. And I think there has to be, there has to be space for that, both on that macro, like call out culture level, but also on the micro, I made a mistake as a human, as an adult, as the parent, as the caregiver, and I noticed it and I'm going to empower this kid and let them know like, oh, I can tell by your face, you didn't like that. I won't right. tell you like that again. Or right. all done. Uh, and, and even giving them those signs and letting them know how they can communicate that too, but really paying attention to that and, and empowering them that their nonverbal communication is heard as well. Hormone Harmony is an all-in-one hormonal balancing solution for women of all ages. Happy Mammoth, the company that created Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Hormone Harmony contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like chaotic hormone changes that happen naturally throughout a woman's life. Hormone Harmony is perfect for those horrible menopause symptoms that put your life on hold, like 
hot flashes and night sweats, racing thoughts and low moods, poor sleep and feeling tired all the time, occasional bloating and gas. Yeah, hormone harmony can help with all these things. And the biggest benefit, feeling like yourself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Hormone Harmony. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code VILLAGE at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code VILLAGE for 15% off today. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of TILT is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the TILT Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, You are not alone, and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Yeah, absolutely. And I I always say you can start teaching consent from birth because it's about your the way that you're the tone of your voice you know, like passing your child on to somebody else to be carried and then they start crying and the person like still hangs on to them. Like, you know, we're teaching through all of our actions, right? Mm -hmm. And as they're, the younger they are, uh, it really is about, you know, the the body language and all of your intention with your words and and how you communicate what you're going to do. And I think that when kids are young, parents see this as a major issue. Like, I can't give my kids like autonomy, like they can't do anything on their own, but there's so many like little ways. And I think what you're saying is so true about, you know, when a kid is, is pre-verbal and they are trying to understand their relationship, right, with others, like that is a huge lesson in consent and how we operate and what's okay and not okay. And, you know, even teaching basics like body parts, if, like genitals that we, we think, well, when do I start teaching that? Well, you can teach that as soon as you start changing their diaper. Like they're going to hear those words over and over so that when you get them to, to, you know, use those words, they've heard it enough that it's just, first of all, normalized and healthy part of your body. And it doesn't become like, okay, now I'm going to teach you this because I have to teach you that it's private. Right. You know, so you get to the body safety piece in a different way, like through a different channel that is, isn't so like, okay, we're going to have this conversation now, you know? Right. So you can start teaching consent from birth, but a lot of parents, when they, they come to me, it's when they're like, okay, my child, like somebody else is going to have to change their diaper. Or they're going to have to go to daycare and like somebody else is going to have to help them. And I'm concerned about this, right. Particularly from a survivor's perspective. So I, if, if someone has, you know, isn't a parent yet and they're planning on it like 
know that you can start teaching about consent from before birth, you know, by educating yourself on that. So totally. And from the teacher side, the like, it was triggering when we would enter into that separation anxiety at the beginning of a school year, this kid's going to come to me and they don't feel safe with me yet because they don't know me yet. And just as you were saying, like you hand the baby off and they start crying and they, we keep them in those arms. Sometimes that's a necessity. Sometimes it's, we're going to childcare or this mama needs a break and it's helpful for her mental health. Maybe this baby's being handed off to their other parent uh, and they just prefer the one that they were with just now. And, and it doesn't mean that we just abort mission and are like, fine, I'll just be the only one to hold you for the rest of your life. We can, I am going to go to work and you are going to be in childcare, et cetera. And I think it is important to hold space for those emotions. And for me as the teacher acknowledging, like, I know, babe, I'm a new face and you don't know me yet. Yeah. Right. And for me to acknowledge that it's okay if they feel scared for a little while, it's okay if this is hard for them right now, what's my role in holding space for that and making this a safe space for them to express where I'm not distracting them from their feelings, where I'm not rushing those away, but really holding space for them to feel and realize I am a safe person to express to. Right. Um, to build that attachment and connection because attachment does take time and trust and safety and realizing like, oh, I can trust you. Yeah, yeah. And I think, yeah. sorry, I just think that, that that's on the responsibility of the person you're handing the kid off to. It's not the kid's job to stop crying. It's not the caregiver who just handed them off. It's not your job to fix it either. It's the yeah. person who's receiving the child. It's their job to hold space for that and create a safe environment. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, completely agree. Um, I think what one of the things that I would love to see, you know, schools and childcare centers kind of evolve to Mm -hmm. is sort of a warm up process, right, to be a little bit more like, uh, to to give it a little bit longer of a runway. Because a lot of times, you know, when we are taking a kid to school, like, Uh, you know, I see this a lot where the kid is crying and they don't want to go. And like, you know, you see the parents like, you know, it's like the the heartbreak of like, I'm sorry, I have to do this. And like, you know, you send them off and they're crying. Um, And it, you know, for, for especially new parents, I remember that myself, like it was just almost like traumatizing for me. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that if there was a way for um, schools or daycares to kind of like, you know, I don't know, maybe the the teacher's photo is given or they have videos that they can share with the child of like, this is who you're going to be hanging out with. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is a way that they can kind of introduce them ahead and get them used to the idea. It may still, you may still get the situation where your child is like crying and stuff, but mm-hmm. at least there's been a bit of an introduction already. And it's not like, here, I'm handing you off to somebody that you don't know, you know, totally. Uh, it would be so amazing to like have that. And I wish that I I remember um, with the first daycare for my first child, right, that they, they allowed us to do that. Like we came in and we had like a day where parents could stay with the child and like you can build a little bit of trust ahead of time, right? I don't see that everywhere. Like not everyone is, is either able to or, you know, and I understand that a lot of times that's just not possible, but it would be so amazing if, you know, that could be somehow built in and part of the process. Because I think we just also normalize us like, giving kids off to someone and then the child, you know, so when I, you know, when I'm looking at it from the, how do we build better consent culture? Like if we can 
you know, create those kinds of spaces or those, that kind of process that can ease a child into, you know, a, a new space, a new place that they're going to, I think that would be less traumatizing for everybody involved and just be a different way of, of helping parents too, right? Because it's just like such an anxious process sometimes. And I think that doesn't, particularly for survivors can be really difficult and you end up having a lot of shame and guilt about it yourself. Mm -hmm. And it's unnecessary if we can, you know, support parents differently and support caregivers differently. Like the, the caregivers who also are like receiving the crying child, right? <laughs> like it yeah. would be so much easier if the child came to them like, oh, I've seen your pictures and your videos. And there's a little bit of, you know, more sort of trust built into it. So anyway, just as a side note, like, I think that would be so amazing if we could start uh, as a culture, like creating those kinds of processes that would be easier. I agree. I agree. When I, the last school that I was teaching, at, I started um, in their infant room. And when I came in the previous, I, it was a school where head teachers could choose a 10, 11 or 12 month um, contract. And the previous teacher to me had chosen 10 months and she, she was off for the summer, which meant when she came back for the new school year, all seven new babies started the same day. And I was like, that feels like my nightmare. <laughs> and so I did a 12 month contract largely because I wanted to over the summer transition kids in as much as families could, if they could start before that first day of the school year so that I could have like one kid at a time that I can support versus mm. seven new kids yeah. in all these different directions. And that was personally very helpful. I know it's not always feasible. We also did, I also started doing um, at that school home visits where I could come into that kid's space um, mm -hmm. and that family space and get to know them. Not That's amazing. <laughs> I loved it. I loved getting to see, I just recorded um, a workshop for, we have a seed certification program, a certification program for childcare centers and home daycare programs coming out and uh, to support teachers in doing this nice. in the classroom. And I just recorded a workshop on connecting with families and I mentioned doing the home visits for me was like, I get to see this family's culture. I get to see how they function and what this kid likes at home. How do they eat? How do they show up? What books are they reading, et cetera. And, and stepping out of like my territory, right? In the classroom mm -hmm. and into theirs. And also we included in the um, workshop with the certification teachers get a sample transition book where they can plug in their own pictures, their own names for the classroom. This is the playground. This is what the classroom looks like, et cetera. That can be a digital um, book that can go home with families to be able to show kiddos. You can print it off. You can do whatever you'd like, but to be just as you were saying, like, so they can have a picture of what this face looks like that they're going to come join on Monday or whatever, right, right. So that they can be reading this book and, and knowing what's coming to help yeah. them transition. What's your day going to look like at school, et cetera. I think I, I love that you brought that up. I think it's really important. And yeah, we literally just wrote one. <laughs> nice. I love that. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah like-minded. <laughs> yeah, I love it. I love it. Um, the last thing I'd like to touch on is what to do when other caregivers aren't practicing this. So, you know, we just came off of vacation where we are with family and grandparents and uh, not everybody's doing this. And so how can you advocate for your child in those situations? Yeah, yeah, that's a really big one. Um, it actually, in my membership, I ended up creating um, a little mini course called Consent Letters, and it is specifically for that reason. 
because you know when we talk about protecting our child and doing abuse prevention we tend to think of like dumping all this information on our children or like only teaching our children and like expecting them to like do it all mm-hmm. um, obviously we want to be vigilant and protect and all those kinds of things limit um, possible dangerous scenarios but it's also about communicating with the adults in our children's lives right and that can be really hard at times with you know depending on your family and how you grew up and if you didn't have solid boundaries and now you're asking you know people who didn't honor your boundaries not necessarily violently or anything like not sexually or anything but just you know as parents who were like I'm going to tell you what to do and you know mm-hmm. now you are in charge of your life and your family and you're asking them to respect the boundaries of your children and that is ultimately asking them to respect the boundaries of your family. So you're still involved in that, right? Like you're in that. So it's kind of hard for a lot of people, particularly survivors who don't know how to uphold boundaries to do that. And language is really important. Um, using the right words for them to, for the other person receiving it to understand not just the what, but the why and the how, right? So Uh, When I created these consent letters, they're they're basically templates that give you the language, the the script kind of to explain we're teaching consent, we're teaching um, abuse prevention education. We would love for you to be an ally in, in this process with us so that we can empower our child. And this is how we would like you to do that. And this is how you can, you know, contribute to that. Um, because a lot of times you'll get pushback, especially if you, you know, you say it wrong, you know, not that there is really a way to say it wrong, but they may receive it wrong because, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they get their backup about it and they, they may feel offended or they may feel like you're pointing them out. Right. And so if we can approach it in a really diplomatic way, it will help them to understand why and the, and the how, but also, um, to get them on board as an ally. So that really gives them a feeling of participation versus uh, like a boundary request, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah. So it's really about how you present it. And it, it, it's also something that you should be doing, not just with family, but with everyone in your child's life. So like the consent letters, for example, um, I have one for doctors, for mm-hmm. teachers, for coaches, for babysitters, daycare centers, for family. If you're going to an event, and you know it's a family gathering and you know that there's going to be a lot of people who are used to usually just like going in for a hug and a kiss right where you can let them know ahead of time like we're actually switching things up and this is how we're doing it and we're asking you to help us you know uh with this so that you don't feel awkward in that moment like it's not going to be something weird that you know suddenly out of the blue like oh no you can't just like hug and kiss like you have you know And it also helps you model that for your children. So a lot of like with these consent letters, I made it a mini course because there's a little class that goes with it to teach you how to use it effectively because you have to talk to your child about it. So if it's a, you know, consent letter for a doctor, you have to tell your child, like, this is what the expectation is for the way that they treat, you know, the way that they um, interact with you physically. So we're going to give the letter to the doctor. They're going to know what that expectation is as well. And you're going to know so that there's communication, right? So that goes along with all the letters. And when you present it in that way, it's, you know, like I said, very diplomatic, but it's also a call to allyship instead of feeling like it's an attack. 
Yeah, I love that so much. It brings them on board. And I think one of the biggest challenges that I've encountered is this idea of respect and that I think in a lot of cultures, um, what respect means mm-hmm. is often that like the kid is submissive, right. right? That they will give me a hug and that's what's respectful. And uh, rewriting that pattern for folks, I mean, it's a cultural shift. Yeah. And I, I think like us being mindful of that as we're going in, that it might, it feels very important for us and we're doing this differently. And you're about to rock someone's cultural world. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There is no, um, there is no easy button on that one, you know? Mm-hmm. And what I always say is like, if you do get pushback, just remind people that um, boundaries actually is a way to show love. You know, if you truly love this person, this little person, then showing that through your, you know, respect of their boundaries is actually the most powerful way that you can show that, that love. And, you know, you may rub people the wrong way. That's sort of an, you, you know, can't totally get around that. Welcome to life. Um, <laughs> welcome to life. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And it's just, it's part of it. Um, but you're helping to create consent culture that way. Yeah, totally. I, I used to joke about it, but it's actually true. I trigger people daily. And like, that's something that I have become very comfortable with. Someone came into my DMs the other day and was like telling me something. And um, she was like, well, I was like, oh, if you want to dive deeper into why I'm saying what I'm saying here, here's a podcast episode. And she was like, well, I don't know if it'll change my mind. And I was like, oh, I'm not here to change your mind. She was like, I think actually now that I think about it, I'm here to change yours. And I was like, oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Welcome. Um but I think also like giving other folks ways to connect, right? Like I'm thinking of my parents and there are ways that they've learned how to connect or what feels like the way to connect with these kiddos. And I think sometimes offering up, like here's another way you can connect with them. I think this yeah. comes up around food too, of like, oh, we're going to take them for ice cream. We're going to take them for a treat. And just being able to say like, I know that that's how you connect with them. Here are other ways outside of food to connect. Here are other ways outside of touching to connect with them yeah. when I know that's your goal, right? Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and that's something that you t- want to teach kids too. Like, you know, when we say you don't have to hug or kiss, um, a lot of people are like, well, I don't want to raise a rude child, you mm-hmm. know? And it's like, well, no, I'm not saying like, if somebody says hi to you, ignore them. Right. <laughs> we, we want them Different. to acknowledge <laughs> them, uh, you know, absolutely acknowledge somebody who's greeting you. Um, but it's that you get to choose how you show affection with your body, right? And mm-hmm. giving people, giving the child the options as well, as well as the other people. And I think that that's a really valid point is that people who have been used to showing affection in a certain way may be at a loss and then they're like, well, what, what do I do then? You know? Mm-hmm. So giving them those choices definitely helps. Yeah. I love that so much. And it, it carries over into so much as in my marriage. Now it's the first relationship I've been in where I've learned that I can set physical boundaries too, where like I have said, when I've been in a triggered state, anytime there's like a hot news case and people care about sexual assault for four seconds, then it's often triggering for me. And I'm like, oh, in a week, you're just going to go back to same practices. And in those times, like I've learned that there are times where I'm like, Zach, I'm not mad at you, but I don't want to kiss you. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that. I, and that I'm allowed to say that Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. That's loud. And I, I think that does start so young in being able to say like, I'm going to say hi and I'll wave to you, but I don't feel like kissing you right now. And that's okay. Yeah. 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 It's, it's way bigger than people think, 
you know, um, how that sets a precedent. So absolutely, we all, you know, you can even see this in culture in how um, music even, you know, where it's like, I belong to you and you belong to me. Mm-hmm. And when you get married, you suddenly think that like, now you belong to that person, you have to do what they, you know, yeah. so there's a lot in culture that reinforces these ideas um, that go against consent, you know, and we don't realize it because it's not highlighted. But in these little ways that we're teaching kids from day one, it makes a huge difference as to how they're going to internalize that, you know, how, how uh, to express love, you know, and, and that's huge because, that, you know, as they get into relationships on their own, they will realize what feels okay, what's healthy, what's not, and then to be able to stand up for that, you know, and if they don't you know, want to show love in that way, and they're being manipulated into it, they have a way to distinguish and raise that red flag and be like, this isn't okay. This isn't a healthy relationship. Yeah. Oh, I love it so much. All right, sister, where can folks connect with you, learn from you, snag that mini course, all the things. (laughs) So I'm on consentparenting.com is my website. And then um, I'm very active on Instagram as well, consentparenting. My podcast is about consent podcast on Instagram or about consent.com as well. And that podcast is more for survivors wanting to step into healing journeys. So that is uh, a little bit of a different, you know, but it all kind of melds into the same thing because it ultimately talks about boundary repair, which helps with teaching your kids about boundaries. And then I'm on Facebook. I go on live weekly to do talks about, you know, the topic of the moment, raising awareness and all that good stuff. So that's also consent parenting. Awesome. That's where I hang out. (laughs) Thank Thank you you so much for hanging out with me. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the show notes for this episode and all past episodes at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community for all of you to be a part of so that we can all gather together to raise emotionally intelligent humans? Head on over to Facebook, search Seed and Sow colon Voices of Your Village and dive into that Facebook group. We cannot wait to hang out with you and collaborate on raising these tiny humans. If you're digging this podcast, head on over to Apple Podcasts, scroll down, click those stars and leave a review. It really fills my heart to hear from all of you. Well, hey there, busy mama. Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and, more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests, too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.